welcome back all our full lifers, to all the full lifers who are still out there joining us on service and live stream. It's awesome to be sort of coming together again. And so I really just want to encourage all of you, all of you, to keep coming. In Hebrews, I think it's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25, there's a reminder in there not, not to neglect the coming together of the, of the Christian family and to keep doing good and to keep encouraging one another. And that's what we want to do. Um, we just want a bit massive shout out to our media team, obviously. I think, I think, yes. I think God brings people and places them to be there just at a time like this. And when I think back to when we started the live streaming and quite quickly it happened and escalated, as you remember, three months ago, we stopped our services at Chalora. One of the reasons why, in case you're wondering, we're not back at Chalora is because our capacity there, given the social distancing, is 35. We have more than 35 here today. In fact, probably we had 60, I believe, attending last week. And we just want, you know, obviously to see more and more of our full life members coming back. So it's great to see you all. We're just so grateful to all those who have remained faithful during this time. You know, for our Kids Connect teachers, for, um, for posting things up for our kids online, uh, for the Connect groups that are still running, Friday night prayer meeting, which I'll talk about in a bit, that now, you know, is back up and running on a weekly basis. It's just amazing. And, you know, God is so awesome. And before I go on, I mean... I know Pastor Eddie comes up here every Sunday and he talks about what a privilege it is to lead this ministry. But for us, it's been an honor and a privilege to have him as our pastor uh, these last few months. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes it's important for us to put ourselves in his shoes sometimes and realize how difficult it may have been and how difficult it is to just, you know, stand here and, 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 and preach God's word in the open, transparent and, you know, sort of, a powerful way that he has, and he's preaching what we need to hear and not what we want to hear. And when you do that in a situation where you don't, haven't even had the opportunity to meet all of the congregation and get to know the people in that church, I think that's an amazing thing. I'm so grateful and thankful that God has brought him to us and that he's been able to preach the word so powerfully to us. And um, to be here in person again is different. So I really encourage you for life. Those who, I know there's those who have reasons not to come or unable to come. That's okay. Keep plugging into the live stream. But if you can, come here and be a part of this because it's just been amazing. Been so excited. Been, been just waiting for this day all week. And now that we're finally here, it's just amazing. Can't describe it. Before I go on, I want to take this opportunity to introduce Pastor Eddie's family who are here with us. Obviously, um, Alex and Andrew will be a part of Kids Connect as well. So we've got Karen, Ar Alex and Andrew. If you wouldn't mind, Karen and the boys, to come up on stage so that people on the live stream can see you. <laughs> and Pastor Eddie as well. Can we please welcome them, church? This is our pastor, Pastor Eddie and his family. Um, Karen works full-time, so she's not only um, a mother of two Beautiful boys you can see here, but also works full-time. And uh, the boys started a new school recently, so they're in the process of getting used to their new surrounds there, but I hear all is going well. So rather than me speak about Pastor Eddie and the family, I might just hand the microphone over and if you want to introduce, sorry to put you on the spot like this, but if you want to just say a few words of introduction, that'd be great. Yes. <laughs> oh, I thought it was going to be her. You know, I do all the talking in the family. This is my wife, Karen. Obviously, Alex is nine. And Andrew is seven. Uh, thank you so much for just welcoming, welcoming us. I asked Nathan if we could just bring the family up here because I know a lot of you are curious about what my wife look like, uh, looks like and what my kids look like. And so please don't, you know, please be nice to them. And please, like, love us. 
That's all I ask. You know, our, our goal and our heart is just to love you with, with everything that we can. We'll try, you know, and so uh, I just thought it'd be good for you to see. Is there anything you want to say? <laughs> see? That's why I married her. She lets me talk. So thank you so much. We have Friday night prayer, which has been um, going now for a few weeks. We're going to continue this uh, weekly Friday, 7.30 p.m. at Bethlehem Hall, which is just across the way here upstairs in the hall upstairs, if you haven't been there already. Um, we had around roughly 20, 20, 20, just a bit over 20 people attend the meeting on Friday. And the way we run it is that we have some praise and worship, and then Pastor Eddie shares the word. And then we have sort of time uh, individually to pray. Uh, we have some time just to, just to have our own time in prayer. And then we come together again and we pray for some uh, prayer over some prayer topics which are, which are shown on the screen. We run through those two or three prayer topics. And then we also get the opportunity before we close to have to pray for one another to pair up in twos and threes and to pray for one another. And I've been to the prayer meeting these last couple of weeks and, you know, I got to pray with Aiden the first, first Friday I was there. Then I got to pray with, with William the second Friday I was there. And it's just awesome. You know, it's awesome. It's so encouraging to just touch base with people. You don't normally get the opportunity to often to share prayer topics, pray for one another. So I really, really, really strongly, strongly encourage you, Full Life members, to come on Friday. Come on Friday and be a part of it. Be blessed by it. Be blessed by being in God's presence. Be blessed by hearing God's word. And bless one another by praying for one another and encouraging one another. Your presence there makes it. Your presence there. I mean, God's presence there obviously is the most important thing. But the more people we can have come on Friday and pray together, the stronger our ministry will become. I'm sure of it. So I really, really implore you, unless you have something else on, to come and make the effort to come on Friday. Lastly, we've got our um, uh, Connect Group ministry also, which has been running now with Kids Connect starting today. All of our ministries that we've had are now running the way they were before these restrictions hit. Connect Groups are happening on a fortnightly basis. Um, the, some, of the, some of the Connect Groups are not meeting now physically. Some are still doing it over Zoom, but they're happening. And really encourage you uh, today, for those who are here who, don't know, who want to know more about our Connect Groups, to speak to one of our Connect Group leaders, our welcoming team, Pastor Eddie, anyone, get connected. Those Connect Groups, again, another way of just getting to know the people within our ministry better, to get to know God better, to share the word, and just to really, look, just go on the journey together in, in faith. And, and look at, you know, maturing as Christians and encouraging and spurring one another to do, to do um, you know, even more for Christ, which is amazing. So that's all I had. Sorry it was so long. I just had so much I wanted to share. And it's been such a long time since we come together. So I was just super excited. Um, so kids, all our, all our children, you can now head down with our teachers for Kids Connect Ministry. They're already gone. So they've got the message already and they've got their hint. Thank you. Um, it's great to have you all here. I'll hand over to Pastor Eddie. Yes, give Nathan a hand. Something just feels right when Nathan's on stage, right? I mean, do I even have to preach today? I, I feel so good. Um, you know, I get really nervous. Believe it or not, I get very nervous when I speak in public. When I was in high school, I had a huge stuttering problem, so I'm always, like, nervous. That's why I'm always looking down at my notes because I write my notes verbatim because I'm so nervous that I always lose where I am, all that kind of stuff. But uh, so when he handed me the mic, I didn't know he was going to do that. I didn't know what to say. 
But what I should have said, because I might get in trouble if I didn't, is that my wife is, you know, is the powerhouse of our, of our family. Okay, and, you know, she's the reason why we can do what we can do. So uh, I, I don't give her enough credit for uh, just, you know, everything that happens in our family, but she's pretty amazing. So thank you so much, honey. Don't beat me up later. Okay. Uh, I always find it funny whenever the person who gives announcements says that, um, that we're, I'm preaching things that we don't want to hear. You know, that makes me feel really not good. Anyway, but uh, I guess that's what's happening. So I just, you know, my commitment to you is just to preach God's word. It's so good to see all of you here. It makes me so happy, you know, to see people and just to worship together. More than anything, no matter, you know, what happens, I just love that we can gather and worship Christ together. So welcome, and uh, let's just get to the word of God today. So Matthew 5, verses 43 to 47 Our word of God today comes from Matthew 5, verses 43 to 47. And the word of God reads, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the things that you've been saying to us, the way you've been speaking to us. Continue to do that, Father, so that people might find their true identity in Christ. God, that they might find the answer and the purpose of their life in Christ and God so that We, even as Christians, can truly center our lives upon Christ. Help us to do that, especially today in today's message. Lord, we depend upon you, and we ask, God, that you do eternal things that we could never do humanly. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, today is the last sermon of our series in Radical Righteousness. I hope God has been speaking to all of you very powerfully, very intimately. I know in our family, God has been speaking to us very intimately, even on the car right here. The discussion I had with my wife was, hey, how many of these sermons did we violate just in the car right over here? Because we're like arguing and blaming each other for everything, you know, and, you know, anyway, but sorry. (laughs) Anyway, that's what happens. That's what marriage is. That's why marriage, oh man. Okay, you know, but once again, more than anything, that's why I hope more than anything out of all these sermons, you guys truly realize more than anything How much we need Jesus to live out his righteousness. We cannot do it on our own. We are just sinful people. And our default mode is not to do exactly what I preached maybe in the past like six weeks. We need Christ to live out his righteousness because we can't do it without him. You know, over the past few weeks, we talked about some very challenging topics and some very challenging subjects, haven't we? But I think Jesus saved the best one for last. And by best, what I mean is the most difficult, you know, uh, it's, and I think it's totally fitting because in a series where we're proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets, maybe the most radical way that we can actually live for Jesus is by loving like Jesus. And that's the topic of our uh, sermon today. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 22, Jesus says in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40, that the greatest commandment in the Bible is to what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, and mind. And the, second great, and the second greatest commandment is very similar. It's to love your neighbor 
as yourself. But let's look at verse 40 here. It says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, which means that all of Scripture is about loving God and loving others. And so if I could put all this together, all you know, the past few weeks and this message together, it's like this. If Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. And if the whole point of all the law and the prophets is to love God and to love others, then Jesus must be the perfect embodiment of what love is. And if we want to live for Christ and make Christ great in our lives and follow him and his righteousness in our lives, then our greatest calling in this world just might be to love God and to love others exactly how Jesus did. Is that, is that cool? Did, was there too many phrases there? Okay, so I'm not going to repeat this. Hopefully, you know, watch the YouTube. Okay, so if that's the case, radical righteousness calls us to radical love. Radical righteousness calls us to radical love. There are two points that Jesus makes in this passage today that not only describes the kind of love that he expects from us, but the way in which he wants us to love others. They both have to do with loving others. And the first is this. Number one, love without discrimination. Love without discrimination. Verses 43 to 45, it says, You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise in the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, in verse 43, Jesus is declaring that everybody is familiar with this particular part of Scripture where he says, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Everyone was familiar with that. You guys are familiar with that as well? Love your, love your neighbor? You guys familiar with that? Of course you are. It's the second greatest commandment. It's in the Old Testament. It's written clearly in Leviticus 19.18. It says, do not seek revenge or bear grudge on anyone among your people, but what? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? There it is right there in black and white. How about hating your enemy? Right? Have you guys heard that? What verse is that from again? Hating your enemy? We all are called to hate your enemy? Exactly. You guys are the best, you know, Christians in the world because you guys all know that's not in Scripture, right? You, scripture, God never commands us to hate our enemies. And if that's the case, then what is Jesus talking about here when he says everybody knows this? Well, let me share that with you. You know, when the law was originally given from Moses to the Jewish people, God used this word, neighbors, Right? Love your neighbors. And when God used that word neighbors, what he meant by neighbors was everybody. Literally everybody. The poor, the rich, the needy, the foreigner, the near, the far, the friend, the enemy. Everyone, every single person was supposed to be loved by the Jews. There are actually Old Testament laws, if you read your Old Testament, that actually commands the Jews to love like every sector of the world. You know, so we were to love, they were to love everybody who lived. However, over the years, the Jews began to interpret that phrase, love your neighbor, literally as love your neighbors, the people who are near you, the people who are like you, the people who are of very similar interest to you. And basically, those were the other Jews. So Jews loved Jews, and they took it as this kind of command that if, I, if you weren't a Jew, they started to interpret it as, if you weren't a Jew, then I don't really have to love you. So, over the years, not loving others outside of the Jewish community sinfully turned into 
hatred. Okay? And by Jesus' time, this hatred of foreigners became so institutionalized by the Jewish people that they actually believed they were honoring God by hating non-Jews. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that demented? Right? We are actually honoring God by hating non-Jews. They believed that it was their divine duty to hate their enemies. And so this is what Jesus is talking about, and this is what he's addressing. But when he says that, what is Jesus really saying? He's saying what? Stop! Stop that type of evil practice of love. Because that's not love at all. What you're doing doesn't honor God. You want to know the type of love that actually honors God? Let's look at verse 45. In verse 45, Jesus says, A love that honors God is a love that reflects who God is. And God's love is impartial. That's what it is. A love that's free from all prejudice and bias. And what Jesus is doing here when he says that is that he's actually pointing out the greatest evil that exists within our hearts when it comes to loving like God does. This is the most difficult part about loving other people that are not us. And that's exactly what Jesus is pointing out here. And that difficulty or that evil is prejudice and bias. I don't know if you ever noticed it, but we do this all the time. All the time. And there are so many examples outside of church that I could point to, but I'm going to start, I'm going to point examples inside the church. Not because I want to make anyone feel bad. Please don't misunderstand me. But I just think it'll hit home a lot harder, right? You think, oh, out there, of course, we're going to kind of sin more. But in here, we don't sin. You know, we're better. But we're not. And I'll point, let me point this out to you. You know what we know what we do in church? We literally, or even outside, we categorize people all the time. And because of those categories that we create on others, and we put those labels we put on others, we intentionally disqualify them from receiving our love and our prayers because of those categories that we put them in, right? We use categories as an excuse not to love others, and that is evil. Here, here are some examples. Oh, he's a fourth year. We don't hang out with fourth years. <laughs> you know, it's that simple. You know, oh, now she's married, and she's like so much older. Like, I wouldn't even have any idea the types of things that she's going through. And so, you know, it's hard to hang out with her. Okay, there you go. Oh, he's so much younger. When we hang out, honestly, I have no idea what he's talking about. You know, and I'm sure there's someone in our church that can love that guy better. You know, uh, that person talks too much. He's annoying. That girl, man, she doesn't say anything. So I'm like totally scared of what she's thinking about me. That person looks weird. That person makes me feel weird. You know, uh, that person doesn't speak any English. That person's not even Korean. That person's three years old, as if he's going to understand anything that I say. Do you see? Isn't that what we do? There's nothing wrong with stating who a person is, okay? Uh, but to use it as an excuse not to love them like Christ is wrong. Okay, there, that's prejudice, that's bias, and it is evil. Judging someone and then using that judgment as an excuse not to love that person is absolutely antithetical or the exact opposite of the love of Christ. 
God's love in our passage today, he says what? What is his love? It is absolutely impartial, right? It does not discriminate. That's why in verse 45 it says, he causes, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, which means that God chooses to pour out his love upon whom? Everybody. Every single person. Evil, good, righteous, unrighteous. He doesn't categorize. He just loves. Which brings us back to the original intention of the law, doesn't it? Love your neighbor. Everyone. That's who God is. So, it doesn't matter if your neighbor is evil or good, righteous or unrighteous, God loves all, and therefore we are commanded to love all. That's what makes his love not only perfect, but that's what makes it divine, you know, and that's what makes it uniquely radical. And therefore, when we choose to practice that quality of love within our lives, it's what makes us uniquely Christian, Okay, as a Christ follower. Let's look at verse 45, 44 and 45 again. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, when you read that passage or when you read that verse, it's obvious that what Jesus is talking about, the enemies that he's talking about are the, those who are persecuting Christians. Why are Christians being persecuted? They're being persecuted for their faith. And if that's the case, then why does Jesus command us not only to love them, but to pray for them? And the answer is, so that our offenders, our enemies, can come to know Christ. That's what it is. The greatest purpose of loving our neighbor is so that our enemies and our offenders can encounter Christ and experience the gospel through us so that they can be saved. Kind of similar to last week's, isn't it? But it is. And that's why it's the next verse after last week's verse. Wasn't that the whole reason why Jesus came? You know, a theologian did a word study on the word love. And maybe you can do this too. Did you ever do a word study on the word love in the New Testament? And this is what he discovered. He discovered that every single time you find the word love in the New Testament, it is almost always in the same verse associated with the cross of Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that love and salvation have this intimate relationship that's closely tied together? But it makes sense, doesn't it? Let's look at John 3.16. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that what? He gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. God showed his love to us by giving his Son so that we could be saved. Love, salvation. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. The life, I now, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, here we go, who loved me and gave himself for me. How did he give himself for us? By dying on the cross for our sins. 1 John 4.10, 1 John 4.10. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dude, can it be any clearer than this verse right there? Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that Romans verse, this Romans verse, it kind of brings it all together, doesn't it? It brings it all together. When we were absolutely repugnant and vile to Jesus Christ, what did he do? Instead of prejudice, 
Instead of saying, oh, dude, those guys are evil. Instead of using that as an excuse not to love us, he went the opposite way. He did the exact opposite. He chose to demonstrate his love for us instead. And when we were absolutely hopeless and helpless in our sin, he knew that it would take the initiative of God and the demonstration of his love for us. That's that's the only thing that could wake us up to who he was, you know? Jesus is saying that when we choose to love all people and pray for them, especially our enemies, that is when we give the offender the greatest opportunity to see and experience Christ through us. And that's what it means in verse 45 when it says that we may be children of our Father in heaven. What it's saying is that when we do that, we get to look exactly like Jesus. We get to live out the exact same mission as Jesus. And even then, the greatest part is we get to be used just like Jesus was. And if you truly understand all this, what all this is saying, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying when we choose to love without discrimination, We don't merely become living examples of the gospel. We become soul-winning proclaimers of the gospel that will be used to save people for the glory of God. There's this famous story of a missionary who had such a deep heart for this one one village in Africa. Um, And so what he decided to do was he decided to go into that village and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he walks into this village and never heard the gospel before. He starts preaching. Immediately, a few minutes later, people don't like what they're hearing. So they take him, they charge the stage, they, 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 they drag him out of the village, and they go to a field nearby and they beat him to a pulp. That's what they did. A few days later, uh, to their surprise, same missionary decides to walk back into their village And he gets back on stage and starts preaching the gospel. The people get even more angry. They charge the stage, grab him, drag him off to the same field, beat him to a minute of his life. And they go back. A few days later, to their absolute shock, he hobbles back into their village. And these villagers were so shocked that a man would actually return that they realized that there must be something radically different driving this man. And so what did they do? They decided to listen to him for the first time. And many people came to know Jesus Christ that day. I heard this story when I was in high school. This is back in the 90s. This is how famous this story is. But it's amazing how powerful love can be. You know, when love is practiced Christ's way for Christ, it's amazing what Christ can do through a man or a woman who is willing to love in that way. This story is crazy because we would never do this. I would never do this. You know, if I got beat up for preaching the gospel in some village, I'd be like, dude, you know, screw that village. You know what I'm talking about? I would have judged them. I would have categorized them. I would have condemned them under my breath. And then I would have justified myself. And I would have said, God, I tried, man. But those guys, they're like mean. They're like evil. They like hurt me. You know, they're angry, vengeful, violent people. 
I did my best. So guess what? I ain't going to go back ever. That's what I would do. Even as a pastor or a Christian. And that kind of response probably makes sense. And the reason why it makes sense to us, perfectly fine, it's perfectly rational, and it makes sense because we're human beings and we're sinners. You know, in the church, we say things like easily like this, and pastors say stuff like this very easily. Guys, we've got to love without limits. Guys, we've got to love without discrimination. But if you actually try it in your life, you know what you're going to realize? You're going to realize how self-preserving and how selfish our hearts are really are. Stories like this are only possible when we're truly driven by Christ's love. We need Christ to practice his love. And only, and not only that, but it's only Christ who can actually use a corrupted heart like ours to save people through it. Love is a divine quality. So thank God that his love has no limits. You know, thank God that his love doesn't discriminate, that he chooses to love the evil and the good, that he chooses to love the righteous and the unrighteous, because not only did that love save us, but it's going to be that love through us that's going to save others. So love all people, from your closest friends to your greatest enemy, and everybody in between. For who knows who God may want to save through your love. Let's stop discriminating. Stop exercising prejudice. Stop justifying our sins of not loving others with our categories. Let's love without discrimination. Secondly, let's love outside our circles. Love outside our circles. Verse 46, 47. It says, you know, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. And the point that Jesus is making here is very, very simple. And, 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 and the telltale sign is that last sentence right here, do not even the pagans do that. What Jesus is saying is that if you as a Christian only love people who are like you, then how different really are you than non-believers? You're not whatsoever. And what's the opposite of that? What is he really saying then? He's saying what will characterize you and set you apart from non-believers is the fact that you are intentionally choosing to love people who are nothing like you. This is what sets you apart. What makes us Christ-like, what makes us God's children, what reveals the gospel most clearly in our lives is when we choose to love people who are not like us. This is what reveals Christ to this world. There's a verse that I want to share with you that, that kind of teaches us exactly, uh, that, that teaches us that that is exactly what Christ did. Let's look at John 15, 15. It says, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Doesn't seem like a verse on love, but it's huge. There are two lessons about the love of Christ that we can learn from this verse. And the first has to do with friendship. And to me, friendship are the people that I choose to love in my life. Am I right? Friends are the people that I choose to love in my life. How does Christ define friendship in this verse? Christ defines a friend as someone you choose to share God's love with, okay? Someone that you choose to share God's love with. He, what does he say? He says, you guys used to be servants. Servants are people who don't know God. But now that I shared everything I know about God with you, 
I now call you my friends. Isn't that interesting? That that's how Jesus would define friendship? Friends are people that we choose to share Christ with. They are the ones that we choose to radically invest all of our lives into so that they can know Jesus. Isn't that the exact, almost the exact opposite of what we define friendship to be? What's friendship to you? How would you define friendship, right? Is friendship to you radically investing your lives into someone else so that they can know Jesus? No. Friendship to us is what? Radically hoping that that person will radically invest their lives into us so that we can be happy. Am I right? That's what friendship to us is. Can you see how radically different the whole direction of love is to Christ? Friendship is about radically investing our lives so that others can know Christ. Why is that? Why is the whole direction of our love the exact opposite of Christ? Why is Christ's concept of love so eternally motivated while ours is so self-serving? Why is his concept of friendship so gospel-focused while ours is so us-centric? And the answer is, that's right, the answer is the same answer we've been saying every single week. It's because our hearts are so absolutely corrupt with sin. Even all of our friendships are tainted with our desire to sin, right? Even after we become a Christian, we still operate like this. We need Christ to be a friend like Christ, which means the whole direction of love in our lives as we know it needs to change, right? And it can through daily repentance and through total, total dependence upon Jesus every day. We can love like Christ loves. The second thing about the love of Christ in this verse has to do with intentionality, okay? You know, he just declared this group of people around him his friends. Can I describe to you the, the group of people that are around Jesus at this moment? There are tax collectors, there are fishermen, there are the rich, the poor, the middle class, the working class, there are religious leaders, there are women, and there's even a traitor. His name's Judas, Right? But do you know what all these people have in common, besides the fact that they're probably all different from each other? The, the people that are around Christ that Jesus has called his friends, all of, none of them chose Jesus to be their friend. But these are all people that Jesus intentionally chose, went out and pursued, so that they could, he could show them who God is. Isn't that interesting? Jesus intentionally pursued people who were not like him and chose to intentionally give himself to people in every way so that they could know God. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says this. It says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Here we go. Even when we were dead. In transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Now, what this verse is highlighting is, is what, we're, what I'm trying to highlight here. The, what this verse is highlighting is that we were spiritually dead within our sins. There was no way, what that means is that there was no way that we could have chosen Christ. Dead people can't choose. You know, dead people can't even want Christ. That's who we are. But out of his love for us, he chose us and he pursued us so that we could be made alive. And I want and I don't want you to miss the big picture here. Jesus went after who? Dead people. You can't get any different than any more different than Jesus than dead. But Jesus went after dead people 
so that they could be made alive in him. And this is the orientation of love that Jesus wants all of us to practice and go after. You know, there are so many people in this world, at your workplace, at your schools, even inside this church that don't want God, that are spiritually dead. Are there people like that in church? Yes, there are. And it's because they're spiritually dead or spiritually asleep. They don't have the ability to choose, let alone want Jesus Christ. But as Jesus went after those who were not like him, true love pursues those who don't want Christ so that they can know the Father through us. Okay, that's a big one. True love pursues people who don't want God so that they can know the Father through our love. And in order for that to happen, we need to be intentionally doing what? The opposite of what we think friendship is, right? We need to be intentionally looking outside of our circles for those who may not know God or even want God. And then we need to continually step out of our comfort zones and then actually pursue people that may not want God and they may not want us and then spend our lives caring for them and carrying them to the Father. Ephesians 6.2 says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. This verse blew me away. It, you know, we talked this whole, all these past weeks about how Christ fulfilled the law and the prophets. This verse says we can fully fulfill the law of Christ. Isn't that amazing? How do we do that? It's this simple. Carry people's burdens. Pursue people. Love those who are burdened by their sin who don't know God. Love them carry them to the Father, and by doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ in our lives. Love is the pursuit of others and our complete investment into others so that they can encounter the gospel through us, come to know Jesus through us, and be carried to the Father through us. Can you imagine if every uni student did that to a married family or to a family or to a worker and vice versa? If three people can do vice versa, or three groups of people. Can you imagine if we never, if we stopped having those types of labels or anything like that, but we just said, you want to know something? I'm just going to pursue people who are outside my circle. And yes, they make me absolutely uncomfortable. Therefore, they qualify for me to love them with everything that I have. How, what if we thought like that? How different would our church be? It would be. What if you applied that to your annoying coworker? What if you applied that to your parents? What if you apply that to your literal neighbor who lives next to you in your community and your suburb? I think eternity just might change. But before we get too lofty, let's remember that if it took a crucifixion for Jesus to carry our burdens to the Father, then what's it going to take for us to do the same? It'll take our death as well. But the greatest part of the gospel is that there is always a resurrection after a crucifixion, right? And so as we choose to die to ourselves so that people can encounter Christ through us, as a result, people will be made alive in Christ.
That's the goal of love. So love without discrimination. Carry the burdens of those outside of your circle so that this world can be made alive in Christ through us. Radical righteousness calls us to radical love. I want to give you two practical suggestions and then I'll close our message for today. The first is this. Love even though you don't like. Okay? Love even though you don't like. A lot of people often confuse loving and liking and maybe you're like this too. People always say, oh, I can't love him because I really don't like him. You know, and it makes sense, because, you know, because, you know, our emo- like is an emotion and it's very possible for you not to like somebody for whatever reason. But what you need to realize is that love is not emotion. Love is not based on emotions, but it's based on it's a matter of the will. So therefore, it is always a choice. Right. If love was based on emotions, then Jesus's command in our verses don't make sense. He says you need to love your neighbor. How do you love your or oh, sorry, you need to love your enemies. How are you going to love your enemies if you, if you don't if you hate them? Right? That's impossible. Jesus is commanding something impossible. But it's totally possible because love is not dependent upon emotion. It's a choice. Therefore, it is always possible. And love can always express itself in good actions. Even if we don't like the person that we're loving. Okay? And if you think about it, okay, if you think about it, there's a very real sense that we can say that God does not really like the way we are, right? Because of our sinfulness and our sinful bend and all that kind of stuff, and we're constantly rebelling against God. But he truly loves us, doesn't he? And his love for us is perfect. And that changes everything. So love is not a matter of feelings, but it's a matter of the will, which means that it's always possible to love anyone. No categories, no prejudice, no nothing. It's possible. To love anyone and everyone with the love of God. Even those you don't like. Number two, lastly, don't think, just love. Okay, C.S. Lewis once said this. He said, don't waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor or not. Just act as if you did. Okay, this really is great advice. Because when you do, you're going to realize this one huge truth. And every married person probably kind of knows what I'm talking about, which is so sad, but so real. Um, The more you choose to love someone, the more you will end up genuinely loving that person. Okay? There was this man who never really loved his wife, but he just got married to her because... He was just at that age. He was just at that stage. And, you know, she was okay. So they got married. Uh, But, you know, after a few years of marriage, he finally realized, you want to know something? I'm just going to tell her. It's not working. I want a divorce. We don't click. And so he was about to tell her that he wanted a divorce when his wife told him that she had uh, breast cancer. And so he decided not to tell her. And the doctor declared that she only had one year to live. So what he decided to do was, he said, oh, just a year, you know, why, like, totally ruin her life? I'll just stick by her, and I'll take care of her until she passes. So out of pity, he decided not to ask her for a divorce, but just try to be the best husband until she passed. So he decided to go to the hospital every single day when she was going through chemo. He held her hair back while she was throwing up all the time. He read her stories before she went to bed. He bathed her when she couldn't bathe herself. And after she passed away, his heart 
was completely broken. Because somewhere, somehow, somewhere in the, in the midst of all that, he actually fell in love with her. Not because of what she could offer him, but because he had spent in his life simply loving her so deeply. The more you choose to love someone, the more you'll end up genuinely loving them. So don't think, just love. Okay? All right. Radical righteousness calls us to radical love. You know, love is the pursuit of others and our complete investment into others so that they can encounter the gospel through us, experience the Father's love through us, and come to know Jesus through us. Uh, I'm not sure if there's any greater calling in our lives than to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is how we fulfill the law of Christ. So let's change whatever needs to be changed. If it's our hearts, if it's the direction of our love, let's come to God and ask him to change whatever needs to be changed. And let's live to display this immensely beautiful and eternity-changing love of Christ with this world. Let's pray. You know, love is not easy. It's probably the hardest thing that you'll ever be called to do. And the reason why is because, you know, we're sinful. We just love ourselves too much. If you've never repented of your sinfulness, if you've never put your faith in Christ for forgiveness, will you do so today? Surrender your life to him. And from this day forward, live and love for Christ. Why? Because he loves you. He does. If you're a believer here today, it's time to change the direction of your love, isn't it? Let's repent for our self-serving love. Let's stop judging and categorizing and using them as excuses not to love. Let's intentionally step out of our comfort zones and commit ourselves to serving others without limits so that they can know and experience Jesus through us. Let's step outside of the church so that this world can know and feel it through us. The harvest is plenty for all, but for some reason a lot of the workers like to just stay in church. Let's go and let's love and believe that Christ will use us powerfully to win many to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this whole series and the ways that you've been speaking to us. Father, more than anything, Lord, we just realize how evil our hearts are. We just want to love ourselves. We just want to be comfortable. We just want other people to make us happy, and we think that's love. But Lord, we thank you that Christ set the example for us. Totally flipped that thing around, 
showed us that true love is stepping out of every comfort zone that we know trying and intentionally being uncomfortable so that we can show others how great you really are lord we want to be your followers we want to be your children we want to be characterized by that love but lord we don't want to do it so please change our hearts change the direction of our lives speak to us in such ways. May the gospel be so powerful to us. May we, may we be overwhelmed so powerfully by it that all we'll want to do is reflect it. We need your help and your spirit to do that within us so that we might truly reflect your love to this world, to our brothers and sisters in the church, to our future brothers and sisters outside the church. And God, we ask that when we choose to do so, help, not only will you help us, but please use us powerfully so that many can come to know Christ through us. Lord, we know that is the goal of your love. So, Lord, use us to make your name greater in this world. We thank you so much, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.